Good morning. How are you all? That's good. I hope you're feeling nice and rested and relaxed. And I hope that you've been able to get into holiday mode a bit over the last few days. And if you haven't, I hope you can get into holiday mode soon. Uh, Since it is holiday season, like Al said, we're going to spend the next five weeks thinking about five uh, Jewish holidays, or rather holy days, that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, the Jews had a whole bunch of different holidays and feasts, and in that sense, they're not much different to us. We've got a whole bunch of special holidays too. New Year's Day, Australia Day, Anzac Day, Christmas Day. They're all a good excuse for a party, aren't they? Now, I wonder what you did on Christmas Day. What sort of stuff did you eat on Christmas Day? Why did you eat what you ate? Was there any special, special significance to the food that you ate? Or was it just that, you know, it's Christmas Day and you like to have good food because that's a special thing to do? What about Boxing Day? What sort of things did you do on Boxing Day? Was there any special significance to the things that you did? Perhaps it was just that you ate too much on Christmas Day and you liked the cricket, so you liked lying around on the couch trying not to move watching the cricket. Holidays are great, but most of our holidays, they're just an excuse to relax and take it easy. Throughout January, as we look at some of these Old Testament feasts and holy days, what we'll see is that all of Israel's different feasts, they were significant for one reason or another. Some of them had special foods associated with them that had special significance. Other ones had certain rituals that they did to remind them of certain things. And so over the next five weeks, we'll spend some time each week uh, thinking about why they had these different feasts and what their significance was. But far more importantly than that, each week we'll also spend some time discovering the way that each feast, each festival, each holy day is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, we're going to start this week by thinking about the Passover. And that's a good place to start because it was the first feast in the year. The Passover meal was celebrated by the Israelites once a year, every year, on the 14th day of the first month. And they had it on that day because that was the anniversary of the original Passover in the Exodus, what we've been reading about this morning. That was the anniversary of the day when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And so every year at twilight on the 14th day of the first month, the Israelites would slaughter a lamb and then they'd kind of marinate it or season it with bitter herbs and they'd roast it over the fire and then uh, dressed with their cloaks tucked in and their sandals on, they would eat it with some flatbread, you know, bread made without yeast. And all of that stuff that they did was very deliberate. They did those specific things and they cooked it in that exact way and they ate it like that because that's what they did back on that night when God rescued them out of Egypt. You see, the Passover meal was a kind of mini reenactment of the original Passover and Exodus. The whole Passover meal was designed in such a way that at the start of every year, it would remind the Israelites that God had rescued them. Now, why was the Passover such a big deal? Why was it so important for the Israelites to remember? 
Well, the Passover was such a big deal because it was the most amazing and the most powerful act of rescue that God had ever done for his people. It was God's biggest display of power he had, done, uh, he had ever done. You see, the Egyptians had been oppressing the Israelites terribly. They'd enslaved them and literally they'd been working them to death. And so God set about rescuing them out of slavery. Now, the way that God said he would do that is that he would pass throughout Egypt, through the whole country, and he would bring judgment. And the judgment was to be the death of every firstborn son. And after that, God said, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, will let you go. Now, it might sound good that God is coming to bring judgment on sin. But the problem is that we all sin. Even God's special people sin. And so when God comes in judgment, everyone deserves to be punished. Everyone deserves to die. Which raises the question, how is it possible for God to bring judgment on sin and to rescue his people at the same time? Now the answer to that is what makes the Passover so extraordinary that it's worth remembering. The only way that God could rescue his people and bring judgment on sin at the same time was by graciously providing a substitute to die in the place of his people. Let's have a look. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 21. Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Do you see what's happening here? The Israelites are to slaughter a lamb and then they've got to take some of its blood and paint it around the front door of their house as proof, as a kind of sign that a lamb has been slaughtered instead of their firstborn son. Put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and he will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses. You see, friends, the lamb was slaughtered as a substitute. It was killed in the place of Israel's firstborn sons. Its blood was accepted instead of their blood. A couple of months ago, a zoo in China got into hot water when they uh, substituted one of their animals with another. What happened was that a mother and her young son were visiting the zoo and as they made their way around the various exhibits, the mother was teaching her son about the different sounds that the animals made. Uh, And as they stood in front of the African lion enclosure, she was explaining to her son that lions roar at which point her son noticed that the animal was actually barking like a dog. Turns out that the lion was actually a Tibetan mastiff 
a very large and long-haired breed of dog which looks a bit like a lion. Apparently the zoo thought they could substitute a lion with this dog and no one would notice. (laughs) Needless to say, the mother was absolutely ropeable. The zoo is cheating us, she said. She wanted her money back. That substitute was not acceptable. It was a fake. It was a sham. It wasn't good enough. But the Passover lamb was an acceptable substitute. It was slaughtered and its blood was painted around the front door as a sign that it had been killed instead of the firstborn sons. And God makes it clear in verse 22 that there was no other way. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. If anyone was found outside that night when the destroyer came, he would have been struck down. He would have suffered God's judgment. Because being outside the house, that was a sign that no substitute had been killed in your place. But for all those who were inside, sheltering under the blood of the lamb on their door frames, sheltering under the blood of their substitute, They were spared God's judgment. God passed over their homes. Being inside was a sign that a substitute had been killed in your place. Friends, the Old Testament Passover is an amazing act of salvation because at the one time, God both rescued his people from slavery and brought judgment against sin and he did it by providing a substitute, a lamb, who took the judgment and the punishment in the place of his people so that they might live. And so look, that's why every year the Israelites slaughtered a lamb and they cooked it and they ate its meat. So they would never forget God's extraordinary act of salvation. Every part of that Passover meal was deliberate and it was purposeful and it was significant because it reminded the Israelites at the start of every year that God had indeed rescued them. Now, now that we've got a bit of an understanding of the Old Testament Passover, we're going to think about how that's fulfilled in Jesus. To do that, we're going to think about the Passover in the New Testament. Now, strangely, the New Testament doesn't actually say much at all about the Passover, but one of the things that it does say is that as great and as amazing as the Old Testament Passover was, it is just a shadow of the real thing. In Colossians, and don't worry about looking it up because it's printed there in your bulletins, in Colossians, Paul says, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival like the Passover or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. When I'm out walking with my children, often one of them will say something like, Hey, Dad, look, I'm walking on you. I'm stepping on your head. They like to have this game, you see, where they try and walk on my shadow. Now, the shadow is obviously enough like me 
that they can tell it's my shadow. It's probably because it's fairly short and it's got a head with no hair. There are similarities between my shadow and me. But there are also obvious differences, aren't there? My shadow can't talk. It's just a kind of rough outline. It fades in and out when the, sun, uh, when the clouds block the sunlight. Fortunately, I don't. My shadow can't tell you anything about my personality. It can't tell you what I like and what I don't like. My shadow, it's just that. It's just a shadow. I'm the real thing. What Paul's saying here in Colossians is that that's what it's like with the Old Testament Passover and Jesus. The Old Testament Passover is just a shadow. The reality is found in Christ. Now, one thing that that means for us is that we don't need to keep the Passover. We're not national Israel. The vast majority of us here are not even Jewish. But even if we were, as Christians, we have it all. Why would we go back to that? We have the reality in Jesus. In Jesus, our sins are forgiven. In Jesus, our rescue has happened. In Jesus, we have been set free. We don't need the Passover. And you know, it's not like somehow celebrating the Passover will unlock some hidden secret meaning for us. The secret has already been revealed to us. It's Jesus. There is nothing else we need. Remember when Jesus himself ate the Passover with his disciples? He took the bread and he took the wine. Symbolic reminders of the Passover land. Its body broken, its blood spilled out. And he said, this is a paraphrase, don't use these to remember the old Passover lamb. It's a shadow. Remember me. Friends, we have the real Passover lamb. There is nothing else we need. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He has been slaughtered in our place. It's printed there in your bulletins. Have a look. 1 Corinthians 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Did you get that? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Friends, Jesus is the real Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. You know, the blood of that old Passover lamb, it spared Israel's firstborn sons on that one specific night. The blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, it spares all of God's people from judgment for all time, then and now and forever. That old Passover lamb, it was sacrificed to rescue God's people from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus, our Passover lamb, he was sacrificed to rescue God's people out of slavery to sin and death and the devil, to rescue us out of darkness, to bring us into the true promised land, the kingdom of God. Friends, Jesus is our Passover lamb. There is nothing else we need. And the fact is, there is nothing else that even comes close to being good enough. There is no other way to avoid God's judgment. Just like in the Passover, anyone found outside 
anyone found not taking refuge under the blood of the Lamb was destroyed. That's what it will be like when God judges the earth. And you can be sure of this, God has set a day when he will judge the world. And it doesn't matter how regular you are at church. It doesn't matter how regular you are at growth group. It doesn't matter whether you help out with music or singing or kids' church or reading the Bible or praying. It doesn't matter how good you are at welcoming visitors. It doesn't matter how generous you are with your money. It doesn't matter how involved you are in the community. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or an elder or whether you're on the CLT or the Committee of Management. It doesn't matter if you're a growth group leader. It doesn't matter if you help to look after kids every week in crash. It doesn't matter if you're always the first one in the kitchen to help clean up. It does not matter how much time you sacrifice for the sake of Christ. All those things are good, but not one of them will save you from judgment. God does not owe you anything. The only thing that matters is that you are taking refuge in the blood of Jesus, the real Passover lamb. The only thing that matters is whether or not you're trusting in his death as a substitute in your place. So are you? Are you taking refuge in Jesus' blood? Or are you still outside? If you are still outside, if you don't accept and trust in Jesus' death as a substitute in your place, then you are in very real danger of facing judgment by God and being destroyed. And if that's you, then let me strongly encourage you. Come inside. Take refuge in Jesus' blood. Shelter in Jesus' blood. Trust in him. Because there is no other way. And look, if that's you and you want to talk about this more, then please come and talk to me this morning. Talk to Al. Talk to the person that you came with. But friends, if you are taking refuge in Jesus' blood, then praise the Lord. You are safe and you are secure. There is no other way to be rescued. Jesus is the real Passover lamb. He is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed for us. And by his blood, he spares everyone who trusts in him from judgment. Now, if this is you, if you are trusting in Jesus, then how are you going to remember him? The Israelites, they had this meal at the start of every year. It's what we've been thinking about. And every part of that meal was deliberate and purposeful and significant so as to remind them that God had rescued them. So how are you going to remember? How are you going to be deliberate? How are you going to be purposeful at remembering the way that God has rescued you in Jesus? You know, we kind of do a similar thing to the Israelites, don't we? Once every three months or so, we eat the Lord's Supper together. And that's a really great, deliberate, purposeful, concrete reminder for us that Jesus died as our Passover lamb, that he was sacrificed as our substitute, that by trusting in him we are forgiven. And so it is good to keep eating the Lord's Supper together. But how else can we remember Jesus? Well, let me tell you some things that I've found helpful. 
For a number of years now, I've tried to make sure that I'm meeting with a guy or a couple of guys just to read the Bible together and to remind one another. And that's been really good. It's been encouraging. And look, it has helped to remember Jesus and what he's done. At other times, I've made a bit of an effort to try and learn some memory verses. I'm pretty bad at it. Usually it's just a a verse or two. But when I've done it, it has been unbelievably helpful. Just having some verses from the Bible bouncing around in your head that come up every now and then, it's a great way to remember Jesus. At times when life has been hard for me, like when we went away to college and I was busy and I didn't know anyone, or when we've had a newborn baby and I've been tired and stressed, the thing that I've found most helpful at times like that is to force myself to be deliberate and purposeful, to sit down in the quiet by myself just for five minutes and read the Bible. And it's hard when you're busy and you're stressed to make time, to waste time like that with God. But those are the to- have been some of the best times. Those are the times when I've grown the most in my dependence and reliance on Jesus. Those are the times when I've remembered him most often. As a family, there's a couple of things that we do. One thing we do is we try and read the, the Bible together at breakfast time. And yes, that is hard too. And no, we don't always do it, but we try. And when we do, it's not like we read whole books or whole chapters. Usually we just read from one heading to the next. If we're reading from a kid's Bible, we just read one story. And it is a great way for us as a family to keep Jesus on our agenda. It is a fantastic way to remember Jesus together. Often at home we just have Christian music playing in the background through the house. That helps us to remember Jesus too. Look, I'm not sure what will help you remember Jesus. Hopefully you've got your own ways to remember him. You could print out Bible verses and stick them around in obvious spots. You could read a Christian book. You could make sure you have a deliberate conversation with someone. Maybe, maybe you just need to read the Bible. And I'm not saying you should go home and make a New Year's resolution to read the Bible for half an hour every day next year. But you could read it for five minutes tomorrow morning. And that would be a great start to remembering Jesus. Because if you read the Bible, what you'll see is that it goes on about the cross again and again and again. And it's because it wants us to remember that. It wants us to remember that Jesus died as our substitute that he is our Passover lamb. You know what, friends? We don't celebrate the Passover because we celebrate something far better. We remember something far better. We remember Jesus, our Passover lamb. So let's be deliberate. Let's be purposeful about remembering him. Let me pray. Our great God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Passover and we thank you for the demonstration that it is of your grace and your compassion and your power and strength. Father, we thank you even more that 
Jesus is our Passover lamb, that he died in our place, that you accepted his blood that we might live. And Father, we want to be people who seek refuge in his blood. We want to be people who trust in Jesus so that we might be spared from judgment. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.